Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. We're going to continue our study today back to basics, and we have been talking about this for several weeks now, and we are using as our text 1 Peter uh, chapter number 3, and uh, we've been looking at verse number 15. So 1 Peter chapter number 3, uh, verse number 15. It says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And again, the point of this study is not only what we believe, but why we believe it. I ask the young people all the time, tell me what you believe, now show me in the Bible why you believe that. And that is where most people trip up. You know, like we've been talking about basic number one, believing the only true true basis of Christian fellowship is Christ the God I love. Okay, great. Glad you believe that. Why? Uh, basic number two, um, we believe that worship should be inspiration or should be spiritual. Okay. Glad you believe that. We live in a day where everybody's spiritual. Kanye West is spiritual. One of the Kardashians just got rebaptized. Um, you know, I saw a meme the other day. It said uh, uh, something about I, I, I am, I'm, I'm in the spirit. And the lady said, "Well, that's great, but which one?" Um, just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's holy. And that's where we are today for sure. Um, and then basic number three, we believe that the worship of God should be inspirational. Basic number four, we believe the worship of God should be intelligent. Uh, number five, we believe the worship of God should be fruitful. Number six, we believe the inspiration, the preservation of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Uh, number seven, we believe that God is eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at number eight, uh, which, which says that we believe, or yeah, we believe that God is personal, transcendent, and the sovereign creator of all things. And now this week, basic number nine, we believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully human. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He provided for the atonement of our sins by his vicarious death on the cross. He was bodily resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. So let's unpack that uh, just a little bit. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And I think we covered this uh, pretty well when we were talking about uh, we believe uh, that in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to remember that the word incarnation literally means in flesh. Spanish people tend to grasp this a little quicker because carne is flesh uh, to them. Encarnacion to them comes very simple because it means in flesh. What was in flesh? God poured himself. God manifested himself in the flesh. And of course, we need not look any further than what we talked about last time, Genesis chapter number one, 
Genesis 1.26. I mean, all of that about in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let us make man in our image. Then you followed over into the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that, of course, we know is talking about Jesus. And if there's any doubt, drop down to verse number 14 of John 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bare witness witness of him and said, This is he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And, of course, we know that uh, John is speaking of God's um, eternality, that he was God in the flesh. Um, Long ago, the ruled... In Persia, a wise and good king, he loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. Often he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought he was their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful, kind words to him. Then he left. Later he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity, saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead, he said, you left your place and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given yourself. And that was the whole purpose of the incarnation. God coming in the flesh, living and dwelling among us. So he is fully God, fully human. Um, And then he was born of a virgin. And this this first prophecy was way back in what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. In Genesis chapter number 3, After the fall of man, um, the Lord said, I will put, of course, he's speaking to the servant, to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was speaking of the virgin birth, the Messiah that would come and would ultimately crush Satan's head, even though Satan would bruise his heel, speaking of the crucifixion. And in Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The virgin birth, folks, is not an option. Okay, if Christ did not fill every single jot and tittle of the Old Testament, then he is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. We need to be looking for another In Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26, for example, uh, Luke 1, verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Mary was a virgin. She had never had intercourse with a man before. And of course, that was the whole scandal because no one would believe 
They, even though they were betrothed, they were not to have sexual relations. And that's why Jesus, growing up, and when he went into his public ministry, he was called a bastard, an illegitimate son uh, by the religious leaders. They knew his past, but Mary was a virgin. She did not stay a virgin. The whole doctrine of the immaculate um, or the perpetual virginity of Mary is heresy. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. We know that Jesus had brothers, stepbrothers, and sisters. We know that from the scriptures. So he was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin. She did not remain a virgin, but she was a virgin. And then also he lived a sinless life. You know, Pilate in 23, Luke 23, 4 said to the chief priests in the crowd, I have found no fault in this man. He knew that they were doing what they were doing because they were being moved to envy against him. They didn't like him. They wanted him dead. Yes, Jesus was tempted in all points as we, the Bible says, but he did not sin. He did not sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. So Jesus was tempted and temptation is not sin. It's acting upon that temptation when it becomes sin. And we are tempted. He was tempted just like we are. First John chapter 2, verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, passions, possessions, and position. He was tempted in all points as we. The temptations that he underwent were identical to the temptations that you and I undergo as well, almost, well, daily in this life. Uh, we know that, you know, Jesus was tempted. He was led up in the wilderness in Matthew chapter number four to be tempted by the devil. And the tempter came to him and his first temptation is, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That is the lust of the flesh. That is passions. Our Lord was hungry. And then the devil taketh him up to the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they will bear thee up. That is the pride of life. Position. If you're the Son of God, like you say you are, and the devil knew he was, but he was trying to get him to sin. And if Jesus had succumbed to any one of these temptations, he would have disqualified himself from being the Savior of the world. And then the next temptation and the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said, All of these I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Some people say, well, he didn't have the authority to do that. He had all of the authority to do that. God gave dominion of the earth to man, and man forfeited it over to Satan in the Garden of Eden. And he tempted our Lord with the lust of the eyes, possessions, 
And that is the same way that you and I are tempted today. We can even go all the way back to the book of Genesis and look at the temptation of Eve. Eve was tempted just like that. As as you read through it, um, and the serpent was more subtle in Genesis 3 than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said. See, he cast doubt on what he knew the woman had, the, that God had said. Now, I think the devil did this, and the reason he chose this approach is that the scripture does not say that God told Eve this. Instead, God told Adam this, and Adam passed that information along to Eve. So Satan now is questioning the authority of Eve's husband here. Ultimately, Eve rebelled against the authority of her husband. And we know that because of the curse that was placed upon her, that she would be submissive to her husband and he will rule over her. That was her punishment. She was coming out from the authority of her husband. Um, but notice what it says. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, God hath told us you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent lied and said, No, you will not surely die. And of course, the serpent was smarter than she was at this point. The serpent knew that she was a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. The serpent knew that even though she would die spiritually, she would still stay alive physically. So he was telling what we like to call in the South, just a little white lie, okay? Um, but it was a lie. Half lies, all lie. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's true. And God knows you'll be as God's. True. God knows that you'll know good from evil. True. So almost everything he told her was true, except that part, you will not die. That was deceptive. Deception is lying, by the way. And the woman saw the tree that it was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh, passions. And that was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes, possessions. And desire to make one wise. And she took the fruit thereof. And of course, that was to be like God. The wisdom to be like God. To be wise. That's position. See, she was tempted in all points as our Lord. So our Lord was tempted just like we are tempted. So he lived a sinless life. And then number four... He provided atonement for our sins. How? By his vicarious death on the cross. Now, let's unpack those words there. At Atonement means at one meant. He forgave us of our sins. He erased our sins so that we could be reconciled back to God or made at one with God again. And how did he do this? By his vicarious. Vicarious means in place of. Instead of us dying on the cross, he died on the cross for us. That's just like when you call the Pope the vicar. Uh, that comes from the word vicarious. The Pope is in place of Christ, which we don't believe that. That's uh, heresy. Uh, but he took our place on the cross. And we see that in Hebrews. Uh, I believe that Hebrews was the last call to the Jewish people to accept their Messiah. It was the last call for the Jewish people to accept their Messiah. 
in Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number one, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the the sacrifices that they made under the old sacrificial system were never permanent. They were always temporary. It was an, it was a temporary at one month, which means it had to be made over and over and over again. For it says in verse number two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of their sins. In other words, if it was a perfect sacrifice, they would not have had to come back repetitively to do it. And he says, but in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. So every year they had to come back and make these sacrifices. Um, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It's not possible. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, speaking of Christ, he saith, sacrificing offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. For then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, as it is written, to do thy will, O God, above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. You see, when Jesus came, he was the absolute perfect sacrifice after he made us perfect at one month with God. We need not go to the high priests anymore for forgiveness or for sacrifices for our sins. He made that once and for all sacrifice for us. Uh, so that, matter of fact, in Hebrews 10, 10, it says, by which we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. No more needs to be made. Even Peter points this out in 1 Peter 1, 18. And understand, Peter was writing to the Jews. He was not writing to the Gentile. He was writing to the Jew, and he's talking about this. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Not talking to Gentiles, talking to Jews, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, and or defect. He was the perfect Passover lamb spoken of in Exodus and John the Baptist. It says the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. And then number five, he was bodily resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as we shall be. Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. And we see this in John Uh, Chapter number 20, we see the resurrection. John 20 and verse 11, But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing there, 
but you didn't know that it was him. He bodily resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as one day we shall do. Then 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul speaks of this. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which you are saved. If you keep the memory, keep in memory the things that I preached unto you, unless you have believed them in vain. And he goes on and he says, And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by Peter and the twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at the same time. Of whom the greater part of them are still alive today. But some of them have fallen asleep. And then he was seen by James and all of the apostles. And last he was seen of me, the apostle Paul, as of one out of due time. And of course, that was already after the Lord's ascension, the road to Emmaus, um, or on the road to Damascus experience there. Uh, For I am the least of the apostles. I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And of course, Paul constantly had to defend his ministry. Why? Because he was born out of due time. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles as the twelve were the apostle to the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that right there is not a qualifier for Paul to have taken Judas's place, which so many people point to. So many people love to correct poor Peter and say Peter got ahead of God and pointed Matthias when he should have waited. And he because God was raising up the apostle Paul to be that twelfth apostle. Not true. Uh, Paul was not even saved at the time when it happened. Paul was not even in the focus at the time. And people don't even understand why Peter was in such a hurry to replace Judas. Because he was waiting for the kingdom to be restored. And Christ had told them that 12 of them would sit upon thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel in that kingdom. And Paul wanted that, Peter wanted that kingdom, and he knew that they had to be 12 of them before it could happen. Uh, Paul was not the 12th apostle. Paul was not meant to be the 12th apostle. And anyone that says that he is, is not understanding um, the program or the prophetic program of Israel as compared to the mystery program of the church. Now, when you get down into verse First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter fifteen, verse number fifty, here's the promise for us. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God; neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery, something previously afore unknown. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. So Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as we will also be. Uh, There's an old saying, none of us is going to make it out of this thing alive. (laughs) And that is so true. And one more aspect of this basic and we'll be done. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he ascended in the book of Acts where he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for his 
people. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8, 34, who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even right now sitting at the right hand of God where he also makes intercession for us? No, he's not condemning us. He is interceding for us. He ascended back to the right hand of God the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. So, basic number nine, what we need to believe and why. We believe that Jesus Christ was fully God, fully human. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He provided for the atonement of our sins by his vicarious death on the cross. He was bodily resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ascended back to the right hand of God the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.